to another episode of Leeson Learned. Uh, this is a big one. This is episode 10. And uh, because this is a milestone, because this is a big episode, because we're reaching double digits, I wanted to go big. Wanted to have a big guest. This guy started a YouTube channel because he enjoyed wrestling and wanted to interview wrestlers. He then went on to amass over 94 million. What? The fuck? Yeah, 94 million views this guy has on YouTube. Not only that, he is a four-time Emmy award-winning TV host. And I am proud to say he's a fellow Canadian, which has absolutely nothing to do with me. But when one of us gets success, somebody like me comes along and tries to claim them as a friend and that is what has happened here and i cannot thank him enough for being on the show and especially for helping us celebrate 10 episodes of the show and uh we're just gonna get right into it so please enjoy mr chris van vliet <laughs> Chris Van Vliet. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Always good to talk to a fellow countryman, someone from our home and native land. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Uh, I am a huge fan of, uh, of your YouTube channel. I have seen uh, tons and tons of your interviews with, uh, with mostly the, the, wrestler, the wrestler interviews, which I find uh, awesome. I, I think your interview style is, is great. And I really like how you sit down with them back when that was allowed, obviously. Uh, but I really like your style, man. And I, I, I think they, um, I think, you know, I'm a guy who watches a lot of wrestling interviews. So I think you really allow them to be comfortable and kind of open up, which, uh, which is a little bit different, I think, than some other wrestler interviews. Uh, thank you for the kind words. And I think that, you know, my whole background in broadcasting has been doing a lot of interviews, whether it's an actor, a comedian, uh, directors, all, all kinds of different people in entertainment. And like this started years ago where I was just like, I'm a big wrestling fan. Can I interview a wrestler? Like, and I remember asking my boss, I'm like, WWE is coming to town. Do you think we could interview one of them? And my boss is like, yeah, sure. We, we do that all the time. I'm like, I'm going to get paid to hang out with a wrestler. This is amazing. So yeah, I've just, I've, I'm just really fascinated by anyone who's like at the very top level. I'm fascinated by people who are like super successful. And as a big wrestling fan, I mean, it's just, it's just really cool hearing their insights. Yeah. And do you remember the first uh, wrestler that you got to interview? I do. Bobby Lashley. And this is when I was working in Vancouver. So I'm originally from Pickering. Yes. Which is, you know, just east of Toronto. And I got a job in Vancouver. I was hosting a show called 969, which was on a much music sister station, Razor. It was also known as MTV2 for a short period of time. And it was Bobby Lashley. And I just remember, like, he came to the TV station. We were filming out of the City TV uh, station in Vancouver. And he came to the TV station. We did this interview on the roof of City TV. And he was just a mountain of a man. Like he's yeah. not super tall, he's like six feet tall, but he's just like a mountain of a man. And I remember putting my arm around him for a photo. And it was like putting my arm around a, like a literal stone. I was like, oh my God, like I feel like it hurts my hand to touch you. <laughs> so that was the very first one. I did some other ones kind of here and there, but it was really like 2011 or 12 when I was like, 
every time wrestling's in town, I'm going to do an interview and I'm going to put the raw version of this interview on my YouTube channel. And it kind of just like slowly started to grow from there. That's awesome, man. I, I want to take it back to the beginning because you mentioned Pickering, Ontario, yeah. which uh, is um, for anybody that you know doesn't know where it is. It's like it, what east of Toronto, I guess, right? Yeah, it's like Toronto, Scarborough, then Pickering. Yeah, my connection to Pickering is uh -oh. uh, when I was a kid, I played for a hockey team in London and we were not great, let's say. Okay. We were average. We were okay. Uh, middle of the pack, whatever, but we went to a tournament in Pickering one year and I personally, I was a goalie. I won the skills competition and, hey. and then we went on to win the whole tournament and it like changed our whole franchise. Wow. And, and we went back to like our league and the next See, like that season kind of finished up and then the next season for whatever reason we just had this confidence uh and i think it all started in pickering i like how you started this story jeff by saying yeah our team wasn't very good and then the story ends with but we won the entire tournament yeah yeah i mean but but all thanks to pickering all thanks to Pickering. well yeah. i have many i know you're in london i have many stories about london i i played rep baseball for many years i played hockey for many years so London was like the destination we would go to definitely for baseball tournaments. And they were always really, really good. Also, I went to Wilfrid Laurier in Waterloo. Western was like kind of the rival school. So I have many stories of visiting friends at Western that I probably either can't tell here or can't remember how those stories went. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. London, London tends to have that effect on, on people where they, yeah. they come here, especially if they're university age. They yeah. come to London and and uh, they have no recollection of what uh, may or may not have happened. So yeah. I totally get that. Which means you know you probably had a you know fun, really fun night. You had a great time. Yeah, it's it's very rare you don't have a great time if you're a university age in London, Ontario. That's for sure. Right. Um, I just saw an interview with you and uh, Freddie Prince Jr., which yeah. uh, I thought was uh, absolutely fantastic interview again. Um, which is more sort of a, a new project you have, right? With, uh, with the Insight podcast? Well, I've, I'm just fascinated by talking to people who are like at the top of their game. And my whole career, I've interviewed, you know, everybody all across, you know, the gamut, running the gamut. And then when the wrestling interviews were starting to do really well on YouTube, I just started just uploading wrestling interviews to my YouTube channel. And, but for years, I was uploading interviews with, um, Henry Cavill or Ben Affleck or Leslie Mann or Dakota Johnson, Robert Pattinson, Denzel Washington, like all of the, the rock, all of these huge stars. But every time I would interview a wrestler and put that up, all the movie fans would be like, we don't care about this person. And then when I put up a movie interview, the wrestling people would be like, we also don't care about this person. So it was this weird, like inner mixing. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to double down, triple down on the wrestling interviews. This is in 2018. I was like, you know, no, no more movie interviews for a while, just wrestling interviews. And the channel really started to grow. AEW being announced, I think really helped my channel as well. Cause a lot of those guys were friends or friends of friends. And I was able to get a lot of those interviews. Yeah. Well, over the last like three months, I've just been thinking to myself, like, I want to learn from everybody. And I'm, I'm having these conversations with these people anyway. So let's start throwing them on the podcast. Let's start throwing them on the YouTube channel. And Freddie Prince Jr. is someone who really meant a lot to me growing up. Like, who didn't love I Know What You Did Last Summer? As a baseball player, I loved Summer Catch. Dude, he that was my one of my favorite, like, 
uh, movies that shouldn't have been a you know a favorite yes. movie. Me and a buddy, a male buddy, went to that movie to watch it together, and he was so concerned about it that we I, I we came up with this whole thing about how I'll go in first. I'll pretend like we're meeting dates. You come in, you sit <laughs> over there. And if anybody's around us, we pretend like our dates just stood us up. So screw it. We're just going to stay and watch the movie. So you're like, man, we can't have people seeing us going to see this romantic comedy together. Yeah, that that was for me. I didn't care. I just wanted to see the movie. And I was a big fan of Freddie Prince Jr. And I thought it looked cool. And I the in the um, in the uh, trailer, I remember the line like, to, to get big rewards, you got to take big risks Yeah, is like in the trailer. And that just, I don't know. There was something about that. That was like, I was, I was, uh, you know, just starting like stand up comedy. I was a teenager. I was like, you know, really trying to get my, my shit started. And that, that was just something that pumped me up. So I'm like, I got to see this movie and nobody would go. And the only way my buddy would go is if we came up <laughs> with this like fake thing that we both had dates. Well, when I was in high school, people would tell me all the time that I look like Freddie Prince Jr. And I'm like, that is the greatest compliment ever. Like I've ever heard, like what a handsome man he is. Oh, so yeah. when we did this interview, I told him that and he goes, bro, when, when the zoom turned on, I was going to say that exact same thing. Like, this is what you have to look like in the future. Like this is what you have to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he looks great still. Like exactly. Even though, of course. The gray, the, the gray, but it's like, you know how some people it doesn't work. For him, it's like, it really works, man. So congratulations to you yes, for I, such a bright you. future. <laughs> it was like, and all these comments on the video now are like, Chris is a time traveler. Like, I don't know which uh, side of the screen to look at. <laughs> yeah, that, made, that makes so much sense. That's awesome. Um, did you utilize that in uh, it, like when you were in high school and, and stuff, the looking like Freddie Prince? Did you ever... Do you ever play tricks on people or pretend you're like a cousin or something? Let's be honest. I don't look enough like him that I think I could get away with that. And I also like, I lacked no confidence when it came to like presenting, like host of the talent show and the fashion show. And I did, uh, I was the student council vice president in high school. But when it came to like the ladies in high school, I had zero games. So really? I probably should have used this to my advantage. That's so fascinating. I, I think for most people, they would think the opposite just based on how you look. That That's very kind. Um, but no, it, I just, I was maybe too shy or too nervous, which is really weird because I wasn't shy in any other aspect. Right. But when it came to right, like up until I went to university, I was like fumbling over words and not sure what to say. Like, should I call them? Should I not call them? This is the time before texting and cell phones. So like you had you have to call their house and be like, <clears throat> Hello, Mrs. Jones. Can I speak to Amy, please? Yeah, it was a brutal time, man. It was. <laughs> I remember no one named Amy Jones. I just made up that name, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Could have used a real name. <laughs> I will. There, I was a girl named Danielle. I don't even remember her last name, but I remember a girl named Danielle, and it was the first. She had to be the first girl that I called the house, like the the actual house phone. For anybody who doesn't know, houses used to have phones that had cords and they were on a wall or like on a table. It was a long time ago. And I, I forget, I'm like 11 or 12. And I remember calling and her dad answered and I got her on the, I was so nervous to even talk to him. And then I got her on the phone and I asked her and she said, no, like just. Oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah. 
wow just a flat out no because it was like i remember having a conversation i think with my mom or somebody and i and and they were like well what's the worst that can happen she'll say no is the worst and i was like yeah that would be pretty awful but i guess so and yeah the worst (laughs) but when you're 12 like that's devastating that is like a dagger in the heart yeah absolutely oh it was brutal and like and then of course the next day you got to have class like it's not like someone that you're asking out that you don't even work like that doesn't work with you or you don't have to see them you have to literally she's like two desks over (laughs) so you gotta sit there and just look at her and be like god damn i can't believe i did that and now now all their friends know and they're gonna tell people and yeah it was a it was a brutal we all had that girl we all had that girl whether you were 11 or 12 or whether you were in high school we all had that girl that was like the epitome of like oh my gosh like i i would do anything to get one date with this girl and what's funny now is here we are you know 20 years later and facebook allows us to see you know that some of those girls maybe you know had their best years you know many years ago (laughs) yeah absolutely man facebook really has given a a nice nice uh, sort of picture into what time can do yeah, or like the, you know, the jerk who was bullying you or making fun of you in high school, like, you know, just looks awful now. It's like, man, you peaked at 17. How did that yeah. feel? Yeah, man. Were you, were, in, when you were in high school, were you like, were you among the popular crew? Were, what, what kind of guy were you in high school? So I skipped a grade. I did first and second grade in the same year. So I was always a year ahead and I was a late bloomer as it was. So a late bloomer mixed with the fact that I was a year younger than everybody. I was this, I was tiny. I entered high school at five and a half feet tall, like five, not even five, one, five and a half inches, like tall and 98 pounds. And I was on the wrestling team. And when you're that small on the wrestling team, 98 pounds, there's very few other people that can wrestle you. So there were a lot of practices where I would wrestle girls because oh, there wow. was no one else that was my size. So I, I think I acted like I was bigger and more confident, but the reality was I was this you know kid with this squeaky little voice. You know, it wasn't until I hit puberty the summer between grade ten and eleven. It's so funny now that I live in the states. We say tenth grade. It's so nice to be able to talk to a Canadian and say grade ten because nobody gets it here. Yeah, yeah. So this the summer between grade ten and grade eleven, I hit puberty and like sprouted from like five foot three, like five foot eight, like boom, like over the course of a summer, and like got this like real confidence. And then the next year, I ran for student council vice president, and like I don't know if I really fell into one group. I was actually really happy to kind of like be able to intermingle among everyone. I played baseball. I was on the wrestling team. I was interested in like, I also played hockey, not affiliated with our school, but like I played hockey. So like, I kind of like fit in in all these different places. And the fact that I was the student council vice president was kind of like the ability to kind of oversee all of that as like this, I don't know, like somewhat of a, authority figure in a way, I guess. So right. I don't know. I felt like I tried to fit in kind of everywhere, which was actually really fun. But up until that point, I was like total, total nerd. That's so fascinating. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this story and, 
and I, I hope you'll understand. You must get this all the time, or you must get a version of this. But okay, you were on, um, you were, you were on AEW, right? Yes. In, in the, yep. in the, I think in the very first episode. It was on the very first episode, and then like a few episodes later. Yeah. Okay. So I only knew you from your YouTube channel, like the interviews, and yeah. then I saw you on. AW, right? Yeah. So I'm like, who is this guy? So I, you know, Google you and stuff and you see a bunch of pictures and, you know, there's a whole write up about you and all of your accomplishments and then finding out you're Canadian. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But at first look, right? When you just first look at you, you don't know, you never, you seem like someone who would be a complete asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because you can, just because it's like, I look, I look, this way i'm successful i'm hanging you know i'm i'm hanging around these people fuck it i'll be an i'll be an i'll be an asshole but but i so it's interesting to hear you say like in high school you were kind of nerdy not that confident and then the more you watch your youtube channel and watch these interviews it's like no i i don't think this guy i don't even think he realizes like that he could be an asshole and everybody oh. be fine with it <laughs> This is the not kindest backhanded compliment I have ever received. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah. But I think the thing is, I'm just a curious person. And like, that's why I, I love being able to do interviews. I'm just a curious person. And if someone has a little nugget of knowledge that I can take from them and apply it to my own life, that's exactly what I want to do. And look, I'm very well aware that I do not look like Leonardo DiCaprio or Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans or someone like that. But I mean, if, if people are like, would think that about me, I think that's okay. But I'm happy that when someone does meet me, they can go, Oh, Hey, you're a lot nicer than I would have expected. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the best way. Like I, I mean that in the nicest way no, possible. I get it for sure. Yeah. Thank you. And it's just one of those things where I think, you know, people see like good, good looking people, successful people, especially people that are in the public eye on, on TV or on YouTube. And I think, not for everybody, but for a certain amount of people, you would look at that and think they're going to be a certain way. And then when they're not, you're like completely surprised, but you didn't even give them the opportunity in the first place. So it's like, right. you shouldn't be surprised. You don't know them, but at the same time, you're like, wow, it, that went completely differently than I, than I expected, you know? Well, now that I live here, people are like, of course you're nice. You're from Canada. <laughs> like I like that, that, like that gets us three quarters of the way there. Just being from Canada alone. I'm like, no, there's, like, there's some pretty mean people in Canada too. There's a few assholes there. Oh yeah. Yeah. There for sure is. Yeah. Um, and so when did you make the move from Canada, uh, to the U S and where was the first place you moved to there? I moved in 2010 and right up until that point, I was hosting a show in Toronto called Inside Jam on Sun TV. If you remember Sun TV. I sure do. Yeah, so I was on Sun TV for two years and I was auditioning for different things in the US, a lot of auditions in New York, a lot of auditions in uh, LA. I actually auditioned to be the new host of TRL in 2008. This really? Is, it was after Carson Daly, they had another host there called Damian Fahey, and he was going to be transitioning out. And I auditioned, it was down to me and one other guy. And then they decided to cancel TRL a few weeks later. But I was like, I was that close. So I was having these oh. kinds of auditions. And then my agent said, there's this opening to be an entertainment reporter for the CBS affiliate in Cleveland. What do you think about that? I'm like, ironically, I was just in Cleveland the year before. My dad and I have this great tradition 
where we go to a different Major League Baseball stadium every single year. We've been to 23 stadiums together. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing. So we were at Progressive Field in Cleveland. And I was like, yeah, I really liked it. Not even a five-hour drive from Toronto. Like, it, was, it seemed like home, but like in America. Yeah. Like, sure. I'll do that. So I auditioned. And they offered me the job very quickly. And I moved down there in February of 2010. So I've been in the States ever since. It was Cleveland for five years, Miami for five years as well, Cincinnati for nine months. And now I've been in LA for about half a year now. Wow. What, what is an audition um, for that like? Because I've done a few like acting auditions for commercials and TV shows and stuff, which are always a little weird. But what's, what's the audition process like for something like that? So the auditions that you're used to are like, you go into a room, like a very like nondescript room. And then someone sits there behind a camera and they're like, all right, whenever you're ready. And then you just like do it to a camera. And it's just so strange, right? Yeah. This was, I went to Times Square. I went to the MTV studio. I went like, got the makeup put on me and like read through some scripts. And then I went onto the set and then read from a teleprompter and then did like a fake interview. This was a full on like camera test, really. Wow. That is, a, and that's for TRL, right? That was for TRL, yeah. Wow, that's so- Although a lot of the auditions are exactly the one I described before. Like actually a lot of the auditions are exactly what we're doing right now where it's, all right, are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> this is Chris Van Vliet. I'm with the such and such agency. You right. Know, like, Zoom is Zoom's made everything easier in that way. Whereas like all my friends would tell me like, especially in LA, like to try to go from this audition in West Hollywood to this one in Studio City to this one in like Universal City, all within the span of three hours while still trying to find parking. Like that sounds <laughs> like a really difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the acting, the sort of lifestyle, I guess, of an actor who's just constantly auditioning is is really tough i mean i've i've been i've i've more been in stand-up than acting but in the few times i've had to uh go to toronto or when i was in la for a bit just doing a couple of you know smaller smaller auditions it's really it can be really tough and you never know how they feel about it they're all like stone-faced and you know or sometimes it's not even you don't even say anything they're like there's something behind you and you got to react to it and you feel like a complete idiot in this warehouse somewhere just like looking behind you to nothing i feel like for the most part they've already decided the second you walk in if they're going with you or not or if they're interested and yeah like it's very rare and i actually had a director tell me this once they said the hallmark of a great audition is making the directors think twice about what it is that they were going with so like maybe they're thinking all right the person's going to be like this but that performance, wow, that I, I didn't think about it like that. And they said that still might not change their mind, but that's the hallmark of a great audition. That's great advice. It's, I mean, it, and I think it's true, right? Because especially if the writer is also the director of this thing, and then they're there watching you audition, they already know, like they've written this character in their mind. They know exactly what this character looks like, walks like, talks like everything. And then if you can't walk in and embody that, you, you likely don't stand a chance. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And then, yeah, if you can show them something that 
they weren't thinking or, you know, an angle to come at that they didn't even, you know, think about for that character. They, it might spark something in them to be like, Oh, this is, this is the way that we see it. I think that's, right. uh, uh, who is it? Jeremy Piven from, uh, Entourage when yeah. the, like the way that character was supposed to be and the way Ari he ended Gold, up doing yeah. it. Yeah. It, it just became, I think he was only supposed to be in like a couple of episodes and then, because of his performance they're like hey he's like he's got to be a main a main character uh, and that role has defined his entire career like that role made him yeah yeah were you an entourage fan of course yeah, yeah. I, I don't i don't watch a ton of tv series but entourage was one that i was like yes like absolutely yeah what's your favorite uh city that you've lived in in the states so far probably here i mean LA? there's I have something great to say about every single place that I've lived. Like I, I could totally go back and live in Cleveland if it was warmer, you know? Yeah. I, who, who am I to complain? We're from Canada, but the people in Cleveland were so kind and so nice and so compassionate. The food there's amazing. Love drinking some beer and there's a lot of beer there. Some of my best friends live in Cleveland. Miami, I mean, I was there for five years. I owned a house in Fort Lauderdale. I love how close you are to the water there. There's always something going on, especially when it's 80 degrees and sunny every single day. Sorry, 28 degrees and sunny every single day. I'm still making the conversions here. <laughs> but now that I live here, I feel like there's something for everybody. You've got mountains, you've got the ocean. If you want to see snow, you can drive two hours to Big Bear and go skiing. There's like four feet of snow there right now. There's, this is obviously the place to be if you're in the industry that you're in or the industry that I'm in. There's so much going on here. So I, I love it here. It may, you know, ask me again in six months or a year, maybe I'll have a different answer. I don't know, but I've really enjoyed being here. I just feel like it's, it's the right fit. Yeah, California. I, I love California. I've, I've been there a yeah, few times. Too. And last, I was saying like last year before uh, the COVID stuff happened, uh, we, my buddy and I were living out and we were like right in West Hollywood. So we were right in the middle of the, you know, the hustle and bustle of yeah, everything. Yeah. But um, California as a whole, as you said, there's something for everybody. And the, the weather was perfect. And especially in January and February compared to what it's like, you know, in Canada during this time. So yeah, man, I, I agree. California is, uh, is definitely an awesome place to be. What, um, did you move, did you move out there just for more opportunity or did you move there specifically for a certain job? Yeah. More opportunity. I just wanted to bet on myself. I, you know, I've, I realized that I didn't move to a new country to be a local news personality. And that's nothing against local news. And I got so many incredible, great experiences. And I learned so much from being on the CBS affiliate in Cleveland, the Fox affiliate in Miami. But I just kind of realized that like I wanted to do more. So when AEW offered me the opportunity to be on the first episode of Dynamite, which is, you know, that's historic to be on the first episode of wrestling on TNT, the first time in almost 20 years, like that was so cool. Yeah. And I just started to think to myself, that's what I came like down here for that's what I want to be doing so I moved to Los Angeles because I think there's a lot of situations and maybe you've run into these yourself Jeff there's a lot of situations where you're up for a job and they go and where do you live oh you oh you don't you're not here huh all right well we're gonna go with somebody else and I've auditioned for many of those where they flew me in for the audition and then they went with someone that lived here 
It's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take out one step there. I'm going to, I'm going to make this decision that much easier for you. I'm just going to move here. I'm going to, I'm going to be right here. And if you need me, I'm right here in your backyard. Yeah. Very smart. And I, yeah, I, I absolutely have gone through that uh, very same thing, especially with the LA, um, you know, they, they have so many people out there that it's like, if it comes down to someone who lives there and someone who's not, they're going to go with, you know, the closer person. So very smart on, on your end to, uh, to do that. And I think for me, it was just, I've always been drawn to California. Uh, I've been out here probably 10 times a year for the last 10 years, like doing different interviews and different red carpets and events. It always felt like it was home. So now it actually is, well, it's, you know, an American home. Pickering will always be home. Right. <laughs> um, in, in your times, uh, like interviewing celebrities and stuff, what's the worst um, experience you've had without naming anybody, obviously, but what is there one that comes to mind as just like kind of a, a disaster? I'd say for the most part, they're in like media mode. You know, they understand a right. camera there and they understand like this is recorded and going to be like put out there to the masses. But I will name names because I've, I've told this story a few times, but I was in Mexico City for the James Bond film Spectre. So I was interviewing Daniel Craig and Dave Bautista, and I went in to interview Christoph Waltz, who plays the bad guy in this movie. He's the Bond villain here. He's the bad guy from Inglorious Bastards. Like, oh, yeah. incredible, amazing actor. Yeah. And I feel like he was kind of still like acting the part. So I walk into the room and he's standing there like with his hands behind his back, like almost like a, like standing like a, oh, hello, it's good to see you. <laughs> and he's like, take a seat. And I'm like, uh, I don't know which seat, like which one is my seat and your seat and which sides, oh, it's this seat. So I wanna ask him this question because I don't think that any villain or any bad guy in a movie thinks they're a bad guy. Like they're justified in their actions, right? Right. So I wanted to ask him about that. Like this Bond villain doesn't think he's a Bond villain. He, like he thinks he's doing the right thing for him. Right. So I said, how do you think that he would describe himself? And he goes, it is not my job to do your job for you. I am not going to tell you how to do this. I'm like, what? What? Like, I thought it was a, I thought it was like a pretty like straightforward question. Yeah. I wanted him to be like, ah, oh, you know, I think my character thinks he's actually pretty sweet. I think my character would actually, you know, I thought he would like go on this nice, like introspective, like look into his character, but instead it was almost like he was offended that I was asking this. So the interview continued on with these kind of answers from him. So I just cut it short and I was like, oh, that was a really strange experience. And everyone kind of that interviewed him that day said the same thing. Then I interviewed him two years later for a film called Alita Battle Angel. And we flew all the way to New Zealand for this interview. And in that film, his character's like this father figure. He's very compassionate. He's very nice. He, he looks after the main character, Alita. So when we did that interview, it was like I talked to a completely different person. He was wow. sweet and nice and charming and everything I said was funny. It was like the wildest thing. And the night before, we all went to this dinner, like all the journalists and all of the stars from the movie. And he like had a toast for everybody. And I was like, this is a, this is a completely different person than the one I met. And I would just have wow. to think that because he's such a great actor, I think maybe he gets so invested in these characters that he kind of like still has a little bit of himself or that character in him as he's doing these interviews.
This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world. I was going to say in the country, but no, in the world. They have some of the greatest food I have ever had. Every single time I eat there, I think to myself, it will never get better than what I have just eaten. And the next time I go back, they top it once again. It's that good. If you live in the Sarnia area, make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell, book your reservation for both right now. Do it tonight. What are you going to cook for dinner tonight. Probably something awful. Don't do that. Head on over to the Big Fish Steak and Lounge. If you don't live in Sarnia, I suggest you make a trip down just for the food. Or if you're going to be in the area, stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have. This episode is also sponsored by The Carlot Etc. in Sudbury, Ontario, where they make buying your next vehicle very, very easy. Let's say you go online, you find a vehicle that you want to test drive, but you can't quite make it in, no problem at all. They will bring the vehicle to you so you can take that test drive right from your own home. They do have the largest used truck inventory in the north. They also have the best selection of cars, SUVs, and vans. If you're like me and your credit is, let's say, not great, that's no problem. They do have options for everyone. You can also trade in your vehicle. They offer the best trade-in value in the north. So head on over to the website, thecarlot.ca, and book a test drive right now. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by Cookum Secret and G's Carpet Cleaning and Services. For all your cleaning needs, contact G's Carpet Cleaning and Services. And for your personal well-being, contact Cookum Secret Sonotherapy with Drumming at g2cleaningservice.com. I got a chance to actually go up to Timmins and uh, take part in the sonotherapy and the drumming. It was extremely relaxing. I recommend it highly. Head on over to g2cleaningservice.com and book your time today and make sure you get some cleaning done while you're there. Speaking of people staying in character during interviews, one of my favorite uh, wrestling interviews that you did was MJF. Uh, the one in the uh, in the hotel in the hotel room where he orders <laughs> breakfast. For anybody who doesn't know or doesn't watch wrestling, MJF is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. He's in uh, AEW, which is uh, which is a, a wrestling uh, promotion that's been around, I guess, almost two years or a little over a year it's, and a half. Uh, they officially announced it January first, twenty nineteen. So yeah, wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and he's like one of the top heels, if not the top heel in the country heel, of course, meaning bad guy wrestler. And typically in your interviews depend, no matter if they're heel or face in the interview, they're just the person and just themselves, but he really, uh, didn't break that at all. And I'm curious, is he off camera? Like when he showed up for that, is he that? from the moment he gets to the door or does he flip it on when the cameras go on? Well, I went to his hotel room for that. And there's very little difference between MJF the wrestler and MJF the human being. So I didn't know what to, I, just, I didn't know what to expect, which is what I expected. So I expected to just go in and kind of roll with it. And I said, is there anything specific that you want to talk about? And he goes, 
no, like, let's, like, why are we still like standing here? Let's just hit record. I'm like, okay. So then we hit record and what you saw was what happened. And look, he's brilliant. He is playing that character to a T because he's not really playing a character. And if you ever see him out in public, this is who he is. And it's like, it's cool. Cause this is like this old school thing of like, this is how wrestling used to be. Right. That was the character that you had on TV. That was the character that you always had. So yeah, it's, it's uh, he's a fascinating person. And with all that said, I do have a great deal of respect for him because I think the future is super, super bright. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's one of my favorite um, people just to watch how he, talks all his interviews his promos his backstage stuff um everything i i think he's absolutely hilarious and to take it that far and do basically every interview every appearance the the one where he's flipping the kid off in, oh, in the, yeah. in, in the uh, autograph signing like to to do that and to just go full bore like that i have i have great respect for that and love it being a wrestling fan my whole life i just i love that it's so funny. Like, I, I like how we have to, you know, we break this down for people who aren't wrestling fans. And I completely like appreciate that and completely understand it because when you are a wrestling fan, it's kind of like that scene in Step Brothers. Like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, when you're in wrestling, you're so ingratiated in it. Like, you completely understand all the nuances. And it's like, it's one or zero, right? It's, it's very like binary. It's one or zero. Like, you're either in it and you get it. Or like you have no idea. Like, isn't that stuff fake? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, is there is there anyone else? Is there any other wrestler that you have interviewed uh, that that stayed in character like that the entire time, even off camera? Probably not to that degree, but the Miz is kind of like that. Oh yeah, true. And yeah, also like. Every time I, every time I interview Chris Jericho and like, we're, we're really friendly with each other. Like we'll text with each other when the camera's on, he is Chris Jericho, the wrestler. And the second the camera gets turned off, he's like, Oh, Hey man, thanks. That was a lot of fun. And I'm like, you were just kind of mean to me. Like, what do you mean? Like there was one, there was one post-match interview that we did and he was just being very heelish and like very in character. Then he texted me later that night. He's like, hey, fun times at the interviews. And I'm like, for you, maybe. <laughs> like, I'm very nice. <laughs> um, is there anyone that uh, that you've reached out to? I, again, you don't have to name any names, but is there anybody that you've uh, been trying to get or tried to get that just flat out said no? I don't know if anyone said no, because you know we kind of live in a time now where you just, if you don't want to do it, you just stop responding to someone's emails or right. don't respond to someone's emails. So there's been a few people that I've reached out to that have either, either never responded. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I get the point. Or you get the, like, we're not accepting, like, we're not accepting availability at the time. And I'm like, well, you were just on a radio show yesterday. And then right. you're on a podcast the week before that. So like, I get it. Like, and I, and it's, I can't take it personally, but yeah, that's definitely happened. And there's some where it's like, we have like mutual friends in common. Like it would just make sense for us to have a conversation. Right. Right. Um, is there anybody that had any, uh, 
weird or strange demands in order to do the interview? Mm, that's a good one. I've had like, I haven't had like the like, oh, red Skittles only. Like I haven't had anything <laughs> like that. Right. But I've had somewhere like people would say, I want the title of the interview to be this, or I want you to write the description of the interview to be this. And look, I, I grew up as a, a, a journalist, like my whole background is being like a reporter and a journalist. And I'm like, that's not really how journalism works. Like journalism isn't like you have control of every aspect of this. Journalism is, I'm gonna tell you my story and then trust that you are gonna report this in the most accurate way possible. So I was actually rubbed like the wrong way when someone said, oh no, no, can you change the title of that interview? I'm like, no, no, I'm, these are topics that we said we were going to talk about. You were okay with it. So, yeah. So that's been, that was a really strange request for me for sure. And that's like the name of the YouTube video. Yeah. And they just didn't like that. What you talked about was in the name. Is that, was that yeah. kind of a problem? Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Was that early on or more kind of a more recent thing? That's like relatively recently. And I was just like, Oh, I don't like, there should be a trust factor here of like, you trust me to do my job and I'll trust you to do yours. Was there, um, was there ever an interview that you really, really wanted? Like it just took a long time to either connect or get um, that you thought maybe wouldn't happen that ended up happening that you're especially proud of? Yes. So when I was in Cleveland, uh, I was pretty like I, I was pretty good at being able to do WWE interviews whenever they were in town. So I was in touch with the person from WWE that was setting this up, and they said, "All right, Raw is going to be in town on Monday. We have an interview for you. So block off that time. You're going to have an interview at the arena." It's like, okay, cool, like awesome. And then the Friday before, I got a phone call. And they said, all right, are you ready for this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, who am I interviewing? All right, <clears throat> this is 2012, by the way. You're gonna interview The Rock. And I'm like, what? Wow. Rock was at the very top of my list. Like the person I wanted to meet and do an interview with more than anybody at all. In fact, if I switch this camera around here, WrestleMania 18, my favorite match of all time, I was there. Skydome, 2002. Oh yeah. Rock Hogan. So Such I'm like, oh good. my gosh, like I'm gonna interview the Rock, like in person. I was so excited about this. And not only was I interviewing The Rock, but I was interviewing The Rock in a wrestling setting. It was as he was preparing for his match with John Cena. So that oh, was wow. one that I, I knew would happen eventually because The Rock has so many films and he's so generous with his time when it comes to promoting those films. I knew that it would happen eventually, but to get Rock in Cleveland, Backstage at Raw, that was really special. And they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes. But if your hero happens to be Dwayne Johnson, you should absolutely meet your hero because he's everything that you want him to be. He's kind and he's funny, he's charismatic, and he's self-aware enough to know that he is a massive star physically and also, you know, literally. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he understands that he's a huge star and the, the moment is important for you. So he makes the moment really special for you. He turns it around and like makes a joke at your expense. You know, like he makes the interview moment about you, which is really, really cool. And when he walked in the room, he shook hands with literally everybody that was there. And then he got to work and he stayed afterwards and signed autographs for everybody. It was wow. a really, really cool thing to say. That's awesome that he is that 
it's it's uh, I hate the stories where it's like, yeah, I met so and so and it didn't it didn't go well or they were a dick or, uh, you know, so that's great. Was he um, w- when you interviewed him during the interview cameras on, was he the the rock during that time or was he kind of doing an interview out of character? So he was doing an interview out of character, but I so badly wanted to talk to the rock. Right. So I like, and you, if you, it's on YouTube, you can go back and watch this interview. I like kind of teed him up for a few like rock like moments. And he just gave me like a Dwayne answer. And I was like, okay, like, no, I I get it. There's a moment where I said, you know, you've had these epic stare downs, you and Hogan, you and Austin, now you and Cena. What is the key? to having a great stare down. And I'm like, you know, trying starting to get in his face, although his face is more like up here because he's so tall. Right. <laughs> and I was expecting him to be like, oh, a good stare down is like this. And it's, you want to keep eye contact. And like, I, I thought he was going to go into this whole bit. And he's like, um, yeah, stare down. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, like, and I was like, oh no, no. Like, don't you see what I'm doing here? <laughs> no, no, stare at me. Stare. Yes, me, I want a moment. <laughs> I want a moment. There uh, wasn't, there was a moment though. Like he kind of, he kind of turned into the rock a little bit. I said, like, if we, if we jump ahead, like 20 years, what do you think people will say about this match? And he's like, 20, 20 years. That's a very specific number. Like why, why 20? That's weird. Why, why not 30? Why, why not 40? I'm like, I don't know, 20 years. Why not? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, has there anybody that has been, just an absolute dick off camera, like showed up really angry or something, just a complete piece of shit. And that totally flipped when the, uh, when the cameras went on. This has only happened to me once. I won't name names here, but this did happen once where they came in. This is when I was in Cleveland. They came into the TV studio and I went and went upstairs, greeted them at the like reception area. And they just like, were not in a good mood. Didn't want right. to make small talk. Just like, it's like they didn't want to be there. It's like, oh, great. And they're a pretty big name. And then they came down. I'm trying to make small talk before we go on air. I right, so here's how it's going to go. This is how the segment's going to go. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. The second the camera turned on. Hey, Chris, so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. I'm like, wow. That's not the, that is not the person that I met five minutes ago. And then as, as soon as the segment was done, all right. Yeah. Cool, man. Thank you. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's such a change. And it makes me think so much differently of that person who is very, very talented. Maybe they were just having a bad day. And if they were having a bad day, I really appreciate that. Boom. They did turn it on for the camera because having that low energy, like, you know, not excited to be there interview would have really sucked on TV. Yeah. It's just, it was not what I expected. Are they still well without naming anybody? Are they still active today? Oh yeah. You've seen many of their films. Oh wow. That's so, okay. I'll tell you off camera. Amazing. Oh, but then you can't tell anyone. I would never, I would never, I would never break your trust like that, Chris. Never. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, one of my favorite uh, videos of yours is when you go to Sean Spears uh, and uh, Tyler Breeze wrestling school, fl- uh, Flatbacks, right? Yeah, 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 um, in Central Florida. Yeah, and uh, you take 20 
chops to the chest. Now, some people might think, oh, it's wrestling. There's a way that you're taking chops to the chest without really taking chops to the chest. But I'm going to show a picture or a video or something, hopefully right now, that proves that there was yeah. no working that at all. You literally got slapped in the chest. 20, it was 20, right? It was 20 times. So it was, they had eight students there, plus Tyler Breeze, plus Spears. So each of them gave me two chops. Yeah, so everyone got two. Times two, yeah. And so the, the backstory here is, I, I interviewed Sean Spears earlier that year, right when he left WWE and right before he had signed with AEW. And he had just opened up this wrestling school. And I said, oh, I'd love to come down sometime, like take some bumps. Like, I think it'd be cool to see what you guys do behind the scenes. And he's like, absolutely. Like, you're welcome anytime. I'm like, I'm gonna definitely take you up on that. So we planned a time like a few months later and I went there and literally the plan was I was gonna take some bumps cause I did go to wrestling school. I went to the squared circle in Toronto for a few months when I was going to Laurier. And then I decided like, I've got it's kind of at a crossroads. Like, do I wanna continue with school school or do I wanna continue with wrestling school? Because in my mind, you shouldn't half-ass anything. And right. if I was gonna put a little bit of my effort in here and a little bit of my effort in here, I was definitely half-assing it. I wanted to full-ass it. I want to put my full ass into something. So I decided I'd get my communication studies degree and that wrestling school would always be there if I wanted it to be. So when I went to um, Spears and Breeze's wrestling school, I took I, the plan was to take some bumps, maybe lock it up, maybe run the ropes, and that would be it. And Spears goes, what if I, uh, what if I gave you a chop? And I'm like, I mean... Okay, like, sure, I can take a chop. I'm like, that's not very interesting. Like, why don't we line up all your students and I'll have them chop? He's like, whoa, you <laughs> sure about that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure about that. It would make for a great video. It's like, okay. So we just turn the camera on and what you see in that video is all one continuous shot for like 20 minutes of, I take some bumps, I run the ropes, I lock it up and then we get into the chops and for someone who's not a wrestling fan, it is literally an open hand slap yeah. on your opponent's chest. There's no way to fake that, it's skin on skin. And when you take as many as I took, your skin starts to break and the blood vessels start to burst. And it was very red and welted and I had literal handprints all across my chest. Yeah, and it was it gross. Hurt. It was gross. Yeah. And, and, I and they all seemed to was... hit you in the same, they were all hitting the same spot. And Spears or someone, uh, Breeze and Spears off camera are like, you can go to the other side, you can hit, but they were all, they all, the way they lined up too, and just all like, you know, c coming down slow and making sure. And even I'm watching the video by like the third person, I'm like, go to the other side, let this guy's chest have a minute here. Yeah, but they all hit that like same spot repeatedly, yeah. and then oh, and then it just looked like mince meat or something like that. It was it was <laughs> yeah, like hamburger meat. I will oh. say though that Spears was generous to let me chop him twice, although he like especially the first one I gave him, he just completely no sold it. Like it made a decent noise, and he was like, okay, yeah, like all right, well, let me do another one. The other one was moderately better. It's like, oh, at least I was like, actually my hand hurt a little bit from that, but I <laughs> yeah. was bruised for almost a full week. 
I was going to say, how long did that take to, to go away? It, it was oh. tender and sore. And it was like that super bright red that you saw in the video. And then the next day it started bruising. Like it was purple and a little red. And then it turned into like the yellow and the brown bruising. Oh, oh yeah. It was quite an experience. I'd do it again though. I would totally do it again. So it was worth it then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the video has like a million and a half views. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh, the video is great. The, the video, if you ever get a chance, go, go to the Chris Van Vliet YouTube uh, channel and watch this video. It's amazing, but you're going to feel pain while you watch it. It's just, you will, you will. See, these are the things I do. These are the things I do for my subscribers. Yeah. The the man is a gem. Look, look what he's doing for you. Uh, (laughs) But the, did each one, like, can you feel each one or after a while, is it just so numb that you're not feeling the actual chops anymore? I probably felt the first like six and then it was just like numb. Yeah. yeah. Although the ones, so I, I think that the ones from the students were numb because it was like hitting like the skin that was already, you know, had been hit from other people. Yeah. When I'm getting chopped from like, actual wrestler like professionals like tyler breeze who's in the wwe sean spears who's in aew and was in wwe those like cut through to like my core like those i felt like on my insides especially the first one that tyler breeze gave me yeah i remember at the end they asked you like which one was the worst and you said the first one he gave you really got you oh it was like a gunshot that's how loud it was And did you know, like, I had no idea about Sean Spears, but I guess in wrestling circles, he's like kind of known for his chops. I didn't know that either. But like, when you watch the video back, like he leans into it. Most people just like kind of stand there and chop. He would like go back and then he would like lean into it. Like he was a baseball pitcher. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't want to half-ass it. He he took your advice. He's going to put the full ass into that chop. Full ass. Yeah. He was like, I love you, buddy, but here we go. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> and you, you, uh, like before the chopping begins, you do some, some running of the ropes. How, cause I know as you're running your, the, the ropes kind of hurt your back a little bit. How tough are those ropes to, to run and how, how much pain are you, were you in? I don't think most people realize, but wrestling ropes are made of like elevator cable. They're just, it's just elevator cable that's wrapped in electrical tape. So there's not a lot of give to them. And the ring is not like this bouncy trampoline that non-wrestling fans think that it is. So when you first run the ropes for the first time in a long time, which is what I did there, I hadn't run the ropes in like a year. When you run them for the first time, it takes the wind out of you because it smacks you right here. Right. And when you run the ropes enough, you start to get bruised there. Well, you know, when you're a novice like me or you, but like the pros, like they probably don't even feel it anymore. They're just so like accustomed to it, but there are very few things in wrestling that you do that don't hurt in some sort of way. Right. Yeah. Cause it's all physical. I mean, people, people use the term fake, but that the fake is really about the outcome as in the outcome yes. is predetermined. That's what they mean by fake, but the actual moves and everything that's being done like there's 
that is a physical thing. You're physically being picked up and dropped. You're physically jumping off of a top rope or you're physically going, trying to go through somebody, um, which is like every one of those things. Every time I watch any wrestling, I'm like, I would be dead. I would just be dead in, <laughs> yeah, in this environment. Calling wrestling fake is like, I mean, it just it's obvious, right? It's like calling a movie fake. It's like calling a Broadway show fake. But right. no one's standing at the door after you get out of your Broadway show going, oh, yeah, you liked Hamilton? You know it's fake, right? right. <laughs> of course it's fake. It's a show. Yeah. And, you know, and someone wrote that. You, that. And, right. And the more you peek behind the scenes of wrestling and peek behind the curtain, you realize, like, how much planning goes into all of it. I don't just mean the matches, but, like, everything, like, there's like scripts and rundowns for every television wrestling show that you've ever seen. And I don't know if non-wrestling fans definitely don't understand that, but I don't know if wrestling fans even appreciate that there is a lot of thought and effort that goes into all of it. Yeah. So, and I mean, in so many aspects of it too, I mean, there's the match, but then there's the intros. How do they, how do you know, the, the music of it, but then how do they do the camera? Where's the camera situated? Are they coming out behind the person in front of them from the shot? Like there's so many things that you would never, even as you're watching it, you yeah. just think, Oh, that guy's coming out to the ring, but they had to go through where is he walking out to? Where is he stopping? How is he taking his, his robe off? Or, you know, how is he doing this crazy intro that they had to go through for hours and hours just for like a two minute thing you see yeah. on TV. And then beyond that, they'll be like, okay, so during this match, the announcers are going to plug this new t-shirt. They're going to plug this, you know, tickets are on sale for this thing. Like that's all part of the rundown as well. So Everybody from top to bottom at every wrestling show is putting in like heaps and heaps of work. And like, I just want them to know it like doesn't go unnoticed because the product ends up looking so seamless on TV. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it, it looks, and I think that's the key to it is it looks so effortless, but yeah. anything that looks that way obviously took a great deal of, uh, of, of effort behind the scenes to make it look that seamless. When oh, you absolutely. were you um were you a wrestling uh fan right from being a kid or did you get into it later on? I was aware of wrestling like in the late 80s, so I would have been like five, six, seven years old. Like, I was aware of it. It was on at my grandparents' house. Not that right. my grandpa was like a huge wrestling fan, but when baseball or hockey or basketball or football wasn't on, Saturday night we put some wrestling on. So I was aware of it then, but became a big fan in the Attitude Era. So 98, yeah. Austin, McMahon, that was a big storyline for me. Yeah. That's when I really like got sucked into it. And man, when I become passionate about something, I dive all the way in. Like I don't check the temperature of the water. I don't check the depth of the waters, dive all the way in, figure out, I'll figure it out when I get in there. And I went from watching zero hours of wrestling to watching literally everything like Raw and Nitro and ECW and Shotgun and Jacked and Metal and Heat. I watched everything. Oh yeah. And wanted to be a pro wrestler. And that's when I was like, I started to become a backyard wrestler and I was in a backyard wrestling federation. And yeah, I was, I was all the way in on all of this. Was that a real, was that something you created? Backyard wrestling federation? Yes. I, in fact, oh, you'll like this as a fellow Canadian. We had a backyard wrestling federation in Pickering called the HCW. And we were on Jonovision. We were on Jonovision talking about our backyard wrestling federation. No shit. That's so yeah. wicked. 
Dude, yeah. when I, uh, so I'm exactly the same as you, aware of wrestling in the 80s. Hulk Hogan was the first um, sort of star that I was like, oh, who is this? What is this? Uh, but same as you, I, I was aware of it. But then when Attitude Era came out and Austin, Rock, like all that, that all me and my buddies were just like, we were Mondays, every Monday was raw. Once SmackDown yeah. came, I would watch Nitro. I would tape it like on VHS, uh, like a VCR. Yep. Google what that is if you don't know. And, uh, and, and like be able to watch it the next day. Um, and we started uh, PWE, which was the pool wrestling uh, entertainment or pool. No, PWF, P Pool Wrestling Federation, which was my buddy at a pool. And we would, it was easier to go in there and do all the moves and shit in the, yes, of course, getting hurt on the ground or whatever. And we went off all, all out, man. We had entrance music. We would come down from the balcony from his, uh, his parents' bedroom. We would come down the steps and walk into the pool and put all these matches together. And we had champions and belts and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. From this. I, every trampoline and every pool became a wrestling ring for me. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me as well. Anytime it was like to the point where people stopped inviting me over if they even had a trampoline, <laughs> they knew they were getting suplexed or some shit. I learned how to do a swanton bomb off a diving board. Oh, no kidding. Nice. See, I was a bigger, I was always sort of a bigger guy. So I was the power guy. So I learned the, the sit down, the, the Batista sit down oh. power bomb to yeah. like, I would take one of the smaller guys in our group and just, you could just really, slam them right through and then sit down in the pool uh was always a, a, a lot of fun so yeah the attitude era man um i'm curious is is you have you ever talked to vince mcmahon have you ever gotten oh i wish he's at the very top of the list now so yeah it was rock then it was tom cruise now it's vince mcmahon because i mean think about it if it wasn't for vince you and i probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now you know we wouldn't have this mutual love absolutely so, I want to interview Vince McMahon, the man, like, yeah, what he did in wrestling is amazing, but like, I want to find out like what makes him tick. And I want to like have a conversation about like, what's the first 30 minutes of Vince McMahon's day look like? And like, what are the yes. considerations that he makes when, you know, making a big business decision? I want to know that type of stuff, because I think that if we can take those little nuggets from someone that's been as successful as him, that I think that it'll make the rest of us that much more successful. Absolutely, man. I, I want to see that interview. I just want to. I see want it. that to happen. Vince doesn't do a lot of interviews, so I don't think it's going to happen. But I'll well, keep throwing out into the universe. Well, the we got to make it happen. If you're, come on, somebody's got to know. Somebody watching this has got to know Vince McMahon somehow. <laughs> Please do us all a favor and get. Yeah, in touch somebody with Vince. knows Vince McMahon. Come on, let get the guy in touch with CVV here. Yeah. Enough, enough with the bullshit. Stop hiding, Vince. <laughs> I think that's how you get them out, to be honest. I think if you challenge them, I call them out. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him that's he it. won't do it. Tell yeah. him you will never do the Chris Bro, Van Vliet. Oh, show. this is great. Yeah. You should ban him. You should ban him from the channel. And yes. then, then he'll have to get on just to prove Vince McMahon is banned from my channel. I think we've really accomplished something here. I think we're onto it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Vince is, oh, my phone's ringing right now. It's Vince. Oh, there you go. Look how quickly this traveled. Look at that. 
Um, is other than Vince McMahon, who is uh, the the another person on your list that you're constantly thinking about and and uh, trying to get? Not in a weird way. I don't mean thinking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, to to interview. I, I, no, I'm thinking about Vince all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, me too. It'd be great to have like if we're talking like a long like hour long conversation. I want to have like an hour long conversation with Oprah which I think would just be so fascinating because, you know, everything that she's accomplished to, to come from where she was to now be where she is. It's an amazing story. And I think that there's so many different lessons that we can learn from that. I also want to have a, like a long conversation with Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan is it's just really fascinating to me. He's taken every single one of his passions and turned it into something where he can make a whole bunch of money from it. You know, he loves comedy. He's a great stand-up comedian. He loves TV hosting. Well, he did stuff like uh, hosting Fear Factor and Joe Rogan questions everything. He loves asking people questions. He's a curious guy. Now he's you know top podcaster in the world and he loves mixed martial arts and he's a UFC commentator. Like it's amazing that he's turned all of his passions into a paycheck. And I'm just so inspired by that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Oprah and Joe Rogan, once again, somebody's got to know these people. Let's get them on. I Chris think that those show. might be more possible than Vince McMahon. Oh, wow. That'd be what a week. Imagine you got to do all three in the same week. I, what a I week. I cannot imagine be. that. I can't. I'd <laughs> I, like that to happen. But if I have anything to do with it, you, you that's a week you're going to have, my friend. Make it happen, Jeff. I'll, I, hey, I got a, I got at least a hundred people that watch these. So some through the Kevin Bacon rule, there's got to be. Those are some, good odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and right behind you there, am I seeing Emmys on your shelf there? Oh, these old things. Yeah, yeah. Those that yeah. you clearly didn't know were there when we, uh, when we started <laughs> rolling here. <laughs> I think the thing is when, when you win an Emmy, I think you have to put it on display for everybody to see. Like I'm obviously, you know, really proud of the fact that I won four Emmys, but yeah, these are four Emmys I won for hosting. And one of them is for a story that I did when I was working in Cleveland. Wow. So, and so are they all from different, um, like different areas, different jobs? They're all, I won these all in Cleveland, but like two of them were one year and then one and one were other years. Wow. And is yeah. that something where you get to go to a, a big gala presentation or is it a, a different thing altogether? Yeah, no, it's like you go and you know, you wear a tuxedo and the women wear beautiful gowns and wow. Yeah. It's a big awards show. Did you make a speech? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure my acceptance speech is on YouTube somewhere, but yeah. I, wow. well, I only gave a speech three times because the fourth one, I won it for a story I did in Cleveland, but I was living in Miami at the time. And I'll never forget, I was at a UFC event in Hollywood, Florida, and I was sitting with my buddy, John, and I got a text from someone that I used to work with. And they said, you just won an Emmy. I'm like, I, I just won an Emmy. Like, I'm just, I didn't have, oh, this is crazy. Beer's on me tonight. This is amazing. Wow. So I didn't get to give a speech for that one. That's awesome. That, that's almost better than giving a speech. Just finding that was a, out. That made for a really cool night. Like I'm already a big UFC fan. I had a, one or two beers in me. And then I'm like, oh, I'm now a, a four-time Emmy Award winner with this text right here. This is amazing. What a night. Come on, Vince. He's a four-time Emmy Award winner. Please. Come on. Vince. Enough. Please. Come on. <laughs> Um, dude, I, again, I can't thank you enough for, for doing this, man. I, I, so 
when I started this podcast, I had a list of people that I had on that I wanted to have on that I thought, you know, there's, there's comedians I know that I knew would do it. Cause I know they're not doing anything else right now. And, uh, and then the bigger thing for me was I want to have successful people on. I'm, I'm very curious like yourself. I want to, and you were at the top of my list. You were shut you were, up. I'm no dead way. serious. I'm dead serious. Wow. Um, I just, I've been, a, I've been a huge fan. I love the interviews. Um, I, I was watching the episode of AEW and I'm like, is this the guy from YouTube with those interviews? Like this is, this guy's amazing. Um, and like I said, I've always really, really liked the flow of the interviews, how you do them. Um, you know, you're not in their face. You're, you, you know, wrestling. So you're not like pretending to, you know, it's, it's like very obvious. You're not pretending to be somebody that you're not, or try to talk about something, you know, nothing about. Um, so I, waited until we like we taped a bunch and i we started putting them out and i waited and waited and honestly man i had your email in the two box on the email thing and just didn't send it for a couple weeks thinking like this guy won't even write back this you know the this doesn't make any sense to do and then for whatever reason i don't even know what it was just late one night i'm like you know what fuck this i'm just i'm gonna i'm just gonna reach out i'm gonna tell them that i'm a big fan i'm gonna explain it and who knows? The, and just like the Danielle girl, the worst he can say is no. Right. Um, so the fact that you got back like immediately said yes and and actually went through with it. I really, really appreciate this, man. Uh, more than probably more than you'll know. Uh, well, I really appreciate you saying that. And thank you for inviting me on. And I want to acknowledge you for number one, reaching out to me and like making this happen. But number two, for like making your podcast happen, because a lot of people talk about making a podcast and they dream about making a podcast. And then they never actually take the steps towards actually making a podcast. So congrats to you for taking that first very big, very difficult step along this journey. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that a lot. Chris Van Vliet, everybody. I'll give you a, let's applaud him out. Thank applaud, you. <laughs> Fucking applaud. Thank you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Studio audience. Yeah. <laughs> Studio audience of one. Welcome to the COVID era. Huge thank you to Chris Van Vliet for being here. Again, I can't believe that he did this. Again, I can't thank Chris Van Vliet enough for doing this. He had no reason to do this other than he... Maybe because I'm Canadian, maybe he felt sorry for me. I really don't know, and I never have to know. Chris, you don't have to tell me. But the point is, I do appreciate that you were here. Uh, I'm saying it like he's watching this. Probably he's not, let's be honest, because he's busy. You guys, you guys got shit to do. So anyway, thank you for, uh, for being here. Make sure you give him a follow and go to his YouTube channel, Chris Van Vliet. He's also got CVV clips, which are, uh, which are shorter just clips of the full interviews. He does these long interviews um, with with wrestlers, and like I said on his podcast now with uh, with more than wrestlers, and uh, he he's just such a great interviewer. He he gets he he asks the questions. He's like really you know he's not arrogant. It's great. What he does is great, and I'm a huge fan, and I'll be a lifelong fan now, especially after him doing this. So make sure you go to his channel, subscribe, watch that video where he gets chopped 20 times. Like, that's just fucking insane. It, especially if you're not a wrestling fan, and you're one of those people that walks around saying wrestling is fake, because you think the fake means, like, the outcome, right? Like, 
fake means that they know who's going to win, which is fine, but there's no fakeness when you're getting chopped with a hand 20 times. Even that hurt. Fuck. I shouldn't have done that, but shit. He had to take that 20 times to the chest. I'd be dead, but anyway, go and uh, support the Chris Van Vliet Show. Check out CVV Clips, his podcast, Insight. Follow him on all social media, and thank you once again to Chris Van Vliet for even... Um, even thinking about doing this, let alone actually doing it. Also, thank you guys. Thank you so much. If you've watched ev all nine and now ten episodes of this, do you know how much I fucking appreciate you? Like, so much. Honestly, I'd give you a hug if, if we wouldn't both get arrested for it right now. Honestly, I would. I'll shake your hand when that becomes legal, too. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, give us a follow. I'm on Instagram, Jeff Leeson Comedian. Facebook, Jeff Leeson Comedy. Jeff Leeson Show on YouTube. YouTube, subscribe, click the bell, do whatever you can to support. We oh, we appreciate it, don't we, Dan? Wake the fuck up! Anyway, thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week, I hope.